This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. What's up, everybody? This is episode number 70. I'm Canyon Clark. It's just me today, but I'm going to be talking about an article from North American Whitetail by Dr. James Kroll. We've done several articles by him in the past. And this one's called Thinning Your Deer Woods. It's in the latest edition to North American Whitetail, their land management guide. I figured it would be a good one to talk about since we're in the habitat kind of management part of the season, part of the year. And he's going to talk about how you can better improve your timber stand for whitetail specifically. And we talk about that a lot when it comes to providing forage for deer, natural browse, cover, taking pressure off of food plots, giving them a place to bed, all that kind of stuff. And he's going to get into a little bit of that here. He actually goes into a lot of detail in the second half of the article about different calculations you can do to determine where your timber stand is at and how much you need to take out based on those equations. I'm not going to get into all that. If you guys want to, get North American Whitetail and check that out. It's really good stuff. Like I said, I'm going to stay on the first part of this article, and we'll talk about some things that really we talk about quite a bit uh, in the past on other on other podcasts. We talk about it with clients a lot of times. So I think it's a really good article, and we'll just jump into it here. He starts off by saying, The goal of each individual in a species is to have its offspring survive long enough to mature and reproduce themselves, thereby perpetuating the species. So there's two categories uh, they put wildlife into when it comes to doing that, and that's the R strategist and K strategist. He says the R strategist put a lot of effort and resources into producing many offspring that are simply dumped into the environment so that enough survive to the next generation. A good example of that would be the Atlantic salmon. He says uh, they basically swim upstream to their breeding place, and then they dump all their eggs, and then they die. So really they're just throwing as many out there as possible and playing the numbers game and hoping that enough of them make it. Contrary to that is the case strategist that put a lot of effort into assuring their offspring survive into the next generation. The R strategists are influenced primarily by their physical environment, while the case strategist by the quality of their habitat. Now, as you might have already guessed, the white-tailed deer is an excellent example of a case strategist. He says, in most cases, a doe produces two fawns each year, spends up to four months nursing them, and another six to eight months providing parental supervision. She seldom makes it through this time with both fawns, but her goal is to bring at least one to reproductive age. So as you probably know, most does, when they hit the peak of their breeding, for however many years that's going to span, they're going to have two fawns. And as he says, their goal is to get both of them to the reproductive age, but at least one of them. So they're going to spend a lot more time than just those salmon that lay all their eggs and then die hoping enough of them make it. They've only got these two chances. Their number one goal is to keep the species going, which means they have to keep those fawns alive as long as possible. That's also why you will see, say there's two fawns and the the doe gets hit by a car, other doe groups will take those fawns in and try to raise them a lot of times up to that year-old age, year and a half, where they can start reproducing themselves. So, you see that a lot of times. That's kind of what he's talking about there, uh, being the case strategist that whitetails are. And he says, being large herbivores, white-tailed deer are regulated by the quality of forage available throughout the year. A whitetail's world lies from the ground level to four and a half feet above, what I refer to as the deer zone. And we talk a lot about that, especially when it comes to timber, because 
sometimes guys will think they've got good cover for whitetails because they have big timber, when in reality, from five feet and below, there's nothing there. They've got this great, you know, great big canopy. There's no sunlight getting to the ground. There's a lot of trees in there, but there's no cover actually on the deer's level. So you got to think from five foot and below when you're talking about screening, when you're talking about cover for deer, thermal cover, forage. If they can't reach it, it doesn't do them a lot of good. So you got to think about that, what he calls the deer zone. He goes on and he says, everything a deer needs nutritionally has to lie within the deer zone or fall into it. Acorns would be a good example of that. And it is the place where the majority of deer habitat management must occur. So if you think about it, when we do our hinge cutting, what are we trying to do? Well, maybe we're trying to create bedding, but we're bringing that down. The reason you would hinge cut it is to try to keep browse on there and bring it down to the deer's level. When you're planting food plots, obviously that's at the deer's level. When you're doing screening, you're needing something that's going to get up to that four and a half, five foot range. At the very least, you don't really need much higher than that. That's going to provide screening because that the deer can't see over. Like he says there, Everything must take place in the deer zone when it comes to habitat management. And he goes on and he says, Forage is the mainstay in the deer diet, and it is safe to say the three primary determiners of forage production are soil, minerals, moisture, and sunlight. So when it comes to producing natural forage for deer and even, you know, food plots and stuff, soil, minerals, moisture, and sunlight. So let's take food plots, for example, real quick. We talk all the time about doing soil samples to make sure your soil minerals are correct and all your levels are right. Moisture, every time we put in a food plot, man, I hope it rains. You know, we tell guys that, that plant seed, as long as you get to rain, you know, you should be in good shape as long as you've got your soil test right, right? And then the other thing is sunlight. So you can't plant it in the middle of the woods where it's not getting any sunlight. You can't plant it somewhere where it's not going to get the adequate moisture and you can't just throw it out somewhere where you don't have the proper Soil minerals, and that's no different for natural browse. It has to have all those three things in order to grow. And as you might have guessed, sunlight, he's the easiest way, or is the easiest of these three to manipulate, especially when you're talking about uh, timber stand improvement, natural forage. Obviously, in a food plot situation, you can manipulate soil minerals as well as the sunlight. It's going to be hard to manipulate moisture unless you have water tanks and pumps and ways to get water on it. But those two are similarly easy to manipulate. But when it comes to the timber, it's going to be a lot harder to get fertilizer back in there, that sort of thing. Obviously, again, even back in there, you can't make it rain. So sunlight is the easiest of the three that he talks about to manipulate. He goes on, he says, The only way to assure sustainable forage in the deer zone is to implement strategies that either maximize or optimize the amount of light reaching the deer zone. So you can either get the absolute most sunlight to the ground as possible, or you can optimize what sunlight you have getting there in the first place. So let's say you have a small clearing, and you don't want to just get rid of all your trees, so you optimize that clearing by taking out two or three on the edges that are creating even more canopy, and that allows more sunlight to the ground. That would be an optimizing situation as opposed to the maximizing, which is where let's say you're going to go into a stand of timber and just cut down as many trees as you can stand that would be maximizing the sunlight that's reaching the ground <clears throat> he continues obviously this could be done quite simply by totally clearing the forest as i mentioned every seven to twelve years and he mentions that timeline because you know when i read these articles i skip around a little bit i don't cover everything that's another reason i always recommend picking up the magazine and reading these because there's a lot of good stuff in there that i just don't cover because 
It doesn't necessarily hit exactly what I want to talk about, but there are good details, and he uses that timeline because before that, um, he used an example of like a tornado goes through, wipes everything out. In 7 to 12 years, it's going to be grown back to where it needs to be to be suitable in the best in the best state for for a white-tailed deer's habitat. So that's why he uses that 7 to 12 years. But he goes on there and he says, but that would be costly economically and ecologically, excuse me, and the result would not be complete deer habitat, which includes cover in the form of screening, winter thermal, and summer thermal. So there he does mention that it doesn't mean you need to clear out all your timber or even a majority of it. You're just looking to get sunlight to the forest floor in a good general area. And this is why I say if you pick this up, you can read about the ways he talks about how to really determine how much of that you need to do. But we're not talking about going in and doing a clear cut. Now, there may be areas where if you just have a complete monoculture of timber, you want to go out and clear some areas out. We've actually recommended that before on properties, um, you know, making diversity pockets, for lack of a better term. It's, that's kind of what we call them. Going in there and doing a sort of a clear cut on maybe an acre or two acres and letting that stuff just regenerate. The deer have enough cover around them, uh, thermal cover in the form of maybe cedars or pine trees, young pine trees, something like that. Um, even different types of hardwoods can provide some of that if you do hinge cutting as well. Um, and they do need some timber for forage as well, so your oaks in certain situations are going to help with the acorns as far as that goes. Well, what he's talking about is you can't have the best habitat for whitetails without getting your sunlight to the ground and then creating that forage from the five foot and below. And he goes on here back to the article he says, I tell my students there are only two conditions they will encounter when developing habitat for whitetails, places with existing forests and those without forests. In the first case, you will have to manage the existing density and composition of the stand of trees, and in the second, you will have to establish a new forest, then do the same thing. And he says, now let me explain how. So what he says there is you're either going to have a place that has timber on it or have a place without timber. And in the case where you do have timber, you're going to want to go in there and manage that. In the place without it, you're going to try to establish timber so you can manage it. So that's something. We did a podcast early on. I think it might have been in the 20s where we talked about if we were buying a property, what we would look for and certain things like that. And I think one of the questions that was brought up was, would you rather have, let's say, 80 acres of just CRP or 80 acres of timber? And Based on what he's saying there, if you do that 80 acres of CRP, okay, it depends on what's around it, but let's just say there's, it's just standalone that 80 acres, so we'll not take into consideration what would be around it. If you take the CRP, you're going to spend time trying to develop some sort of timber stand on that property for structure, um, all the other things we talked about, cover, thermal cover, forage, all that kind of stuff. When you already have that timber, then you can worry about managing it. And it's really hard to, you know, you can't grow an 80-year-old stand of timber in two years. But you can thin one out and start to bring up some more natural forage, natural browse, based on the sunlight hitting the ground and some other stuff you might be doing, and put some food plots in it in a couple years. So that's why, like, in my opinion, if I was just given those two options and they were standalone, I would take the timber because I can do a lot more with that timber in a shorter period of time and see a bigger impact 
than I can with that CRP. Now, that's not to say that's bad either because there's a lot of things you can do with that. But you're always going to want some timber on the on the property, especially like in that standalone case. Now, maybe if it's not standalone, it's 80 acres of CRP next to 200 acres of timber that the neighbor owns. Okay, maybe you're going to have trouble keeping the deer on you all the time, but, you know, you have options as far as planting cedars for some cover and some bedding, uh, different types of grasses in there, going out making some diversity pockets even within that CRP, doing food plots, all that other kinds of stuff. But, again, you can't make an 80-acre forest or... 80 acre, 80 year old forest in two years, but you can sure take an 80 year old forest and make it a lot better for deer in two years as far as the, the forage value goes. So he goes on back to the article here. He says, in general, trees must be removed as part of the process. So that's a hang up for a lot of people right there is they think deer just like trees, 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 trees. I want a forest. I want to hunt in the forest. And that's great. But when it comes to maximizing the potential of your property, you ha- you're going to have to remove some trees if, if this is what you're needing to do. Like That's just part of the process. And that might include some trees that you don't want to cut down. I talked about it before. That might include some oak trees. If you have tons of oak trees all over your property, it's not going to hurt you to take some of them out. That is a huge hang-up for white-tailed deer hunters when it comes to improving their, their habitat. If you've got 20-acre stand of oaks, but nothing on the ground, five feet and below like we talked about, you're not doing yourself a lot of favors. Sure, they may come in there and eat some of those acorns, especially on a really good acorn crop year. But again, like we've said, I don't know how many times, you can't manage deer based on acorns because you can't consistently produce them. That's a lot up to Mother Nature. So maybe every two years, every three years, you get a good stand of acorn or a good acorn crop. Then on those other two years or that other every other year, you're just out of luck because that's all you're banking on. So you might have to cut some oak trees out. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be all oaks. You know, it could be you just have a a good majority of oaks in there. Maybe you have to take some out. I would rather have a handful of oak trees and all that natural browse and undergrowth on the forest floor than 30 oak trees and nothing down below just wide open. So uh, that's a big one for me, and that's why I added that in there is because that's where a lot of guys get hung up. They just don't want to cut down trees at all. And I'm not saying, again, you have to go in and cut them all down. And especially in certain situations, you can be picky about which ones you do cut down. There are trees that provide nothing to deer. A lot of times, hickories don't provide much to deer at all. Okay, so that's something you might look at taking down. Walnut trees kind of the same way. And then if you're looking for, for timber value as well, if you've got big enough trees that you want to try to get some money out of, obviously they're looking at walnut trees being one of the most expensive trees that you can get rid of. So... That's something to take into consideration as well. But he goes on here back to the article. Whether planted artificially by foresters foresters, or regenerated naturally after a disturbance, there always will be more trees than needed. So that goes to that same point. You're always going to have in a forest more than you need for deer if it's a mature stand of woods. He said, he goes on and he says he's worked with some, some of the best wildlife researchers on the planet He says, we've learned that the perfect deer woods could be described in two ways. The first was species and density of trees expressed as trees per acre, and the second was using a forestry term called basal area. That goes into those equations that I was talking about, so I just want to throw that in there in case you wanted to look it up. B-A-S-A-L area is what he's talking about when he goes into 
all of his equations and, and the mathematics of it, and there's some pretty cool stuff that they can do with what they call a 10-factor prism. So if you guys are interested in that, you can go look that up. But hopefully that helps you gain even just that much in the article, helps you gain some perspective on what you're going to have to do, if you, especially if you have a mature stand of timber to make it better for deer. Just because there's a lot of trees there doesn't necessarily mean the deer are going to want to hang out there. They might use it to move through, but they're not going to want to hang out there a lot because there's no cover, there's no browse for them. And then it makes them even less predictable, too. If you take big timber, like we're going to talk to Steve Shirk this Thursday for next week's episode, and we'll talk about some big timber hunting, I'm sure, because he does a lot of that. He'll speak to it. There are places you can look that are going to be natural funnels for deer, even within the timber. Um, and where he's at, there's a lot more of that because he's got different elevation than what we have and greater differences in elevation. If you're just taking a flat 60 acres of timber around here or 40 acres, it's going to be really hard to determine where those deer are going to move throughout it, especially mature stand with nothing on the forest floor. If you can go and take some of that timber out, strategically create these diversity pockets, bring up this natural browse, more sunlight to the ground, even adding food plots, things like that, doing some hinge cutting, you can funnel those deer where you want them to move, and they will become more predictable more predictable naturally even if you go in and do some of this stuff. So it, it makes it easier hunting. And that's kind of always the underlying thing. And I talked about on the last Full Draw Friday, is everything you do, think about it in terms of making the deer easier to hunt as well. Obviously, you want to improve the habitat for them so you have a healthier herd, you're producing more antler growth, you're producing healthier does, more fawns are living. All that stuff's great, but if you're in it to hunt and harvest mature deer, it doesn't do you a lot of good if you still can't hunt it. So always keep that in the back of your mind, too, especially when you're doing this timber stand improvement or anything like we talked about in the article today. Do it with the idea that it's going to make it easier to hunt. It's going to make the deer, let's say, more predictable, bring them by your stand more often, all that kind of stuff. So always keep that in the back of your mind when you're doing habitat improvement. And I think that's really important this time of year because that's what we're getting into, uh, planting food plots, whether it is TSI, where you're doing burns, whether you're planting structure, putting in trees, oaks, cedars, whatever it may be. Always have that in mind of how is this making it easier to hunt these deer? And I think you'll see a lot of benefit from that, just having that mindset when it goes to it. So that's all I have for this week on that, guys. Before we get out of here, though, if you are looking for your own piece of ground to do this stuff on, to manage and hunt, maybe you got the money saved up, or even just looking for something in the future and you're kind of getting started in the process, you need to talk to Rodney Hawkins. Um, and he's actually going to be on the podcast, not this coming, not next week, but the week after, I believe Rodney will be on. And we'll talk to him about some of this land ownership and how to get into it, what he does at RG Outdoors and Midwest Farm and Land. Um, but he actually grew up hunting and fishing in Southern Illinois. So he's now putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties with Midwest Farm and Land. And if you guys don't know a lot about them, they're not really your average real estate company. Last year alone, they sold over $85 million worth of ground. They've got agents like Rodney all over Illinois, and they're truly a local company with a national reach. So for more info on them, you can contact Rodney at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. Whether you're wanting more info, info on what's available, maybe you're just wanting to talk to him about what you're looking for, or about what you need to do to get started in the process of owning land, give him a call. And like I said, he's also got RG Outdoors that he recently opened 
They currently carry hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs, all from Radix Blinds, in addition to an all-natural scent elimination product called Camo Dust, which you can get more info on at camodust.com. As for the blinds, Nate spent a lot of time in one of the soft-sided ones this year. Uh, he thought it was great. I was in there with him a couple times. I thought it was great, too. Um, it's an awesome alternative to some of the more expensive hard-sided blinds, so check that out. If you're interested in anything they have to offer, you can send them a message to their Facebook page, RG Outdoors. Email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com. Or again, you can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. And also, don't forget about Grandpa Ray Outdoors. So we're getting into really close to planting season. If you're planting stuff in the spring, even if you're just prepping for the fall and you want to go ahead and get your seed, Check out Grandpa Ray Outdoors. They specialize in providing the best nutrition for white-tailed deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They were starting in 2015, but John up there has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991. So with over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, you're not going to have any trouble what you're looking for, finding what you're looking for, uh, whether it be fall, spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it. When it comes to food plots, they've got it. They're not just about selling those products, though. They're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. Like us, John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They're going to treat you and your situation individually. So whether, you be in, whether you're in Michigan or Georgia or Tennessee, anywhere in between, they're not going to tell all three of those guys or everybody the same thing. If you have questions specifically about what would be best for your property, they're going to treat that separately they have different blends that'll work better in different climates different soil types all that kind of stuff and they'll be happy to tell you about that we've used their seed blends on client properties in the past and on our own properties and we continue to use them Uh, we've planted them from as far west as kansas to as far east as uh, east southeast of louisville kentucky all the way down to tennessee uh, northern illinois missouri so Every time, the results have been as good as advertised. And that's why we're going to continue to use their seed moving forward. And that's actually why we partnered with them on the podcast in the first place. So if you want to support us, you want to check them out, support your deer herd with some great seed, get the most bang for your buck when it comes to your food plot seed, go check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use discount code RHOPODCAST. That's all lowercase, no space, and you'll get 5% off your entire order there at Grandpa Ray Ray's Outdoors. GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Sorry, messed that up. Also, you can go to RidgeHunterOutdoors.com if you want to try out our own food plot blend, the Clover and Chicory blend. You can get that there. You can use discount code RHOPOD and get 10% off of anything on the website. That includes that C. That includes our podcast apparel. That includes any of our scents that you might want to use this upcoming deer season. You can also follow us on Spotify um, and Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a review there. YouTube. Of course, you can subscribe to the channel, leave us any comments on any of our videos. We appreciate all that stuff. We appreciate you guys tuning in every week. So, like I said, be sure to tune in next week, and really over the next few weeks, we're going to start bringing some guests on. We got our good board back finally. Had to get some warranty work done on it, but Road was really good about that. They got it back out to us. So, we're going to start bringing on some guests. It's going to be really good throughout the offseason, I think, talking to some of these guys. You guys are really going to enjoy it. So, make sure you stay locked in over the next few months and we'll have some really great guests on for you so thanks for listening guys we'll catch you again next week with steve shirt